Hey there, Desi Crime fans. I'm your host, Aryan. And I'm Ishwarya. And welcome back to another episode of the Desi Crime Podcast. This podcast is run by two 20-some-year-olds and is supported by an amazing team at Lost Debate. When you contribute to our Patreon or share us with your friends, you too become a part of our team. So if you have the means, please contribute to our Patreon. And if you don't, please use your social media addiction to at least help us by sharing our episodes and posts on your Instagram, Twitter, etc. Be a loyal Desi Crew member. Go to patreon.com slash desicrime. We would like to thank our latest patrons, Joey Kulkarni, Taznin, Namrata Jain, Oendri, Samara Kumar, Anuparcha, Sauda Miniswami, A.B. and Rajesh Lal Singh. Thank you for showing your love. Your contributions help sustain the show. Zainab is on the run, hiding in a shelter somewhere away from her father, probably thankful that she is away from him. Meanwhile, her siblings are left to answer for her absence. And as all this is unfolding, Rona catches a conversation never intended for her ears. Mohammed Shafia, patriarch of the Shafia family, informed his co-conspirators, Tuba and Hamid, quote, I will go to Afghanistan, I will prepare the documents, I will sell my property, and I will kill Zainab. But Rona's sister reassured her that these were just dreams of a crazy man after all. Quote, don't be afraid. This is not Afghanistan. This is not Dubai. This is Canada. Nothing will happen. End quote. This is Canada indeed, but geography did not stop the massacre that was about to unfold. Welcome back to part three of the Shafia family murders. So, Eshwara, you ended up researching for this case for two reasons. One is that you helped write the previous episode, for which I am eternally grateful. But secondly, because you researched the case despite me insisting that you should wait for the suspense to build up. So in that regard, you are not very different from our listeners who are just dying to know what happened next. I just couldn't believe the extent to which this conspiracy went. The amount of craziness in a developed country, it was simply unbelievable to me. And the fact that you divided this into three episodes meant just I had so long to wait to know what actually happened. So I think I couldn't help myself. I had to do the research. But now that you have researched the case, you said something to me in our personal discussions that really fascinated me. You pointed out that if someone like Shafia, who assumes the slightest gesture of, you know, promiscuity of his daughters to have some hidden sexual innuendo, imagine what he thinks of women. You said, and I think rightly so, that Shafia probably assumes sexual innuendos with all the female interactions in his life. Maybe he's so crazily sexualized and fantasized about women around him that he thinks every man does the same, so he needs to protect his daughters. 
right i remember having this conversation with you and i just couldn't help but wonder men that treat the women in their lives this way their wives this way their daughters this way they must assume that all the men around them think of women exactly like that as these mm. walking sexual beings whose heads need to be covered and their arms need to be covered and they've probably treated all the women in their life like that they've looked at their teachers that way they've looked at their female friends that way yeah. it was just crazy to me But Aran, even though Zainab left her house and is at the shelter, she was part of the so-called family vacation. So she did come back. This is the part that I have no context to. How did that happen? Was it on her own volition or was she dragged back home? The answer to that question takes us all the way back to May 1st, 2009. But before we dive in, we'd like to remind all of you Desi listeners that the Desi Crime Podcast family has grown, and it wouldn't have happened without all of you. We have partnered with Lost Debate, which is a media startup based out of New York, and not only have they invested in us, they launched the Lost Debate show, a podcast and YouTube show for political nerds who want more nuance from the news and a good faith look at the issues. So if you're interested in all kinds of news and a nuance dive, go listen to the Lost Debate show for an unbiased understanding of American politics wherever you get your podcasts. On May 1st, 2009, Zainab walked in through the doors of the Shafia house. She wasn't dragged, she wasn't blackmailed. She came back not because she feared Shafia, nor did she come back because Rona or Seher or Geeti had begged her to. She came back because her mother, well, at least her biological mother, Tuba, Tuba promised Zainab that she could marry her Pakistani boyfriend Wahid as long as she came back. It was Tuba who made the effort to get her daughter back. And credit to her, she wasn't flippant. She didn't overturn her promise as soon as Zainab came back. She did in fact let the wedding go through, all in the bid to get her daughter back home. I'm surprised she let it go through that far. This reminds me of the Mittu and Jassi episode where I had made a comment saying be wary of conservative parents who are opposed to a relationship but then suddenly change their stance. But nobody could have disagreed with this. She actually mm. let it go that far. There was no way of knowing. And and nothing about Tuba's subsequent actions with the murder plot were motherly obviously but i can't help but wonder that the maternal instinct in her had to be buried somewhere in that cold heart this was one instance where that maternal love was visible so zainab under the contingency that she gets to marry her beloved boyfriend wahid stepped into the house which she had only recently forsaken she was back in the den but the circus master wasn't there Yet, just when Zainab returned home, Shafia left for business to Dubai. This meant that Zainab dodged the bullet of her father's wrath. But for how long? He would be returning home from his trip any time now. Zainab was hundred percent serious about the wedding, and the preparations began as soon as she returned. Her mother was extremely reluctant to see this union take place, but she had made a promise, and unless she was willing to tolerate another one of Zainab's runaway escapades, she had to give in to her demands. And it is also important to note that even if she wanted to pull off what Jassi Sidhu's mother did for those listeners that remember, right? Like if she wanted to lure Zainab back in the house by offering the marriage but then rescinding it, she would need Shafia to be present to enforce such a thing. but shafia was continents apart so the wedding was in planning 
and no one could stop it. So I have a question Aryan this was obviously an incredibly conservative family and yes they had a problem with their daughter having a boyfriend and going out with guys on dates but what was wrong with the idea of marriage I don't see why Shafia would necessarily have a problem with their daughter marrying this Pakistani immigrant also in Canada if he was a good boy and they approved of him like marrying their daughter early seems like it would align with their values if anything The answer to your question lies in your question and it's one word he was pakistani oh you you realize when 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 you are bigoted you you will find n amount of reasons to find differences between people and one of shafia's and these people's major reasons as to why they didn't like the boy was because he was pakistani that's so interesting to me i just anyway go on Meanwhile, Seher and Geeti got their beloved sister back finally. And as you remember, both of them, albeit younger, were rebels in their own right. While Shafia was out of town, Seher's youthful romance with Sanchez was blossoming. Seher began spending even more time with Sanchez than she used to. And all of this is evinced by her cell phone, which contained a whole horde of photos that record their young forbidden love. If you look through it you will find pictures of them cuddling on a living room chair her arm wrapped around his smiling in a pair of sunglasses his hand resting on his stomach there there's also a picture of Sanchez where he's not wearing a shirt in another the couple is standing on a porch Seher wearing a short jean skirt and a yellow top and yes we might wave the seriousness of their relationship as merely young love but when you are young that's all you can think about In fact, Maclean's article quoted Sanchez's aunt who asserted that Seher really loved Sanchez, so much so that she told the aunt that she would quote love him till death. Aryan so the girls Seher, Zainab and Geeti obviously had this really special like sisterly bond that you only get to see in these movies. But I remember you mentioning in the first episode that Seher and Geeti had a bond that was special in and of itself. why was that so different than the other girls firstly kudos to your memory and secondly you are absolutely correct while the three sisters loved each other seher and geeti's dynamic was slightly different because geeti idolized seher and seher had strong maternal instincts towards geeti she in fact wanted to in her own words rescue geeti that was one of her dreams and geeti's love for her older sister seher is apparent in a doodle she drew for her this doodle was found in one of her notebooks after she died and honestly it made me tear up when i read it because it is just so honest and so naive and so pure it reads s plus g for life and s plus g referring to seher and geeti respectively i don't know if one day you leave the house what i'm going to do I promise before dying I'll make your wishes come true one by one. Ashwara this is a 13 year old girl promising her older sister that she's going to make her dreams come true. It's just so pure. But all this purity and youthfulness and love and romance was in the backdrop of a much different and much more sinister context. Shafia may not have been in Canada. But all this while he was concocting a murderous plot that was soon going to be set in motion. How he would do it, he didn't yet know, and neither did he know who all will be killed. But someone had to be killed. 
after all the family's honor was at stake was it not and by now the wedding was just around the corner all of tuba's attempts to dissuade her daughter were in vain and zainab had made up her mind so tuba dialed her uncle latif hidari which do you remember him yes i do the one that they met right as they were leaving for their niagara falls vacation right Okay, damn, I'm not going to test your memory again, I guess. But yes, Latif Hidari <laughs> was asked to organize. He's the same guy who they met and he was asked to organize the nikah, which is essentially the Islamic marriage ritual. Something very interesting and important to note here is that the Shafias were not a religious bunch. It is interesting to note that they were not religious because what their actions portended was a sense of fundamentalism, which we assume fundamentalism to be linked to religion directly. But in this case, it was more of a cultural issue, and it is key to remember that because it's easy, you know, to be influenced and call this a Muslim thing, which of course the culture is influenced by the religion. But at the end of the day, honor killings around the world are fundamentally a cultural issue. In fact, the Shafias had not even visited a mosque or a masjid since they came to Canada. Wow. A test. Yeah, testament to the fact that they were not particularly religious yet they had this fundamentalist notion on how women should behave. Hideri did as he promised. He made all the arrangements, finding a mullah and booking a restaurant for the reception, and the wedding was finally there. The ceremony took place on May 18th. The very next morning, Zainab did all the bridal shenanigans, got her hair styled and henna on her hands. She was finally approaching that freedom she was so desperately yearning. But it was all for nothing. No one from Wahid's side of the family showed up, and it should be no surprise. They didn't accept the marriage either. Tuba was inconsolable. The shame and embarrassment forced her to pass out she fainted zenab couldn't bear the sight of her mother being in shambles and so she said quote if you do not agree i will reject this boy and so it was decided that day zenab asked for a divorce and wahid agreed she said quote i can't do this i can't ruin my family's reputation speaking of the marriage in later interviews wahid recalled quote Obviously we loved each other so it hurt both of us. The mullah declared them divorced right at the restaurant. They were married for merely 24 hours and then they were divorced. But Zainab's sacrifice of the love of her life wasn't sufficient to quell Tuba's tears. Even back home she kept crying and so at Latif Hidari's house a plan was hatched that was yet again intended to preserve the family's honor zainab was to marry latif hidari's son a good old afghan boy and when shafia who was mind you still in dubai who didn't come back for his own daughter's wedding was informed of this plan he accepted although he did say something that stood out to latif hidari something that would later haunt him shafia said quote I'm not happy. She didn't do a good thing. If I was there, I would have killed her. End quote. So Aran, it's obvious that Shafia by this point is completely hell bent on murdering Zainab and Rona. 
Rona, I think, from the conversation that he had. In fact, he said so himself. What I don't understand is why he'd want to kill Seher and Geeti too. Doesn't that make this plan way more complicated and logistically difficult and makes his chances of getting caught so much higher? You are right. By this point, neither Geeti nor Seher have done anything so egregious so as to attract their father's wrath. But herein enter her sibling, B and Hamid. Just a few days after the divorce was finalized, Seher was at a restaurant having a good time with her boyfriend Sanchez. Except she made a huge mistake, an unbelievable mistake. She was hugging Sanchez. It doesn't sound that big to you, right? But as she was hugging him, her younger brother B walked into the very same restaurant no. and saw the couple. Sanchez recalls that her brother started to ask if Seher was his girlfriend and Sanchez said, I told him we had just met. We had just met wasn't sufficient for sibling B, who revealed her sister's affair to Hamid. On June 1st, Hamid was at the Canadian airport waiting to board a flight to Dubai. Yes, he was going to meet his dad. In a suitcase were photos, photos of Seher and Sanchez taken straight from her cell phone and developed into prints. This sounds like somebody investigating a Jason Bourne or a James Bourne kind of character, but it is just a teenager who is trying to enjoy her life. Photos developed into prints and a flight all the way to Dubai just to show that to his father. It sounds so ridiculous, almost satirical, but it's all true. Once Shafia laid his eyes on those prints, he had proof of Seher's dishonor as well. She too was sentenced to death because she brought dishonor to the family. And Geeti's death sentence was levied because she was just too rebellious to contain. If her two sisters died, she'd be the first to report her parents to the police and blame them for the deaths, even if she didn't have evidence. So she too had to die the victims were decided. All that remains was a plan to execute their sentences. Ashwarya, that plan is best explained by the Google search history on Hamid's phone. I'm sharing with you a few Google searches he made. Can you read them out loud and let me know what you think after you're done reading with them? These Google searches should make it fairly obvious for our listeners as to how the plan to murder their own relatives was devised. Okay, so these searches say, quote, can a prisoner have control over their real estate? Quote, mountains on water in Quebec. Quote, to rent a boat in Montreal. Quote, facts documentaries on murders. And the last one he searched was, quote, where to commit a murder. Oh my goodness. I I don't even know what to say. This is so far gone for something so simple, a mistake so small, not even a mistake in almost the entire world's eyes. But oh my God. On June 13th, 2009, Shafia and Hamid landed back home in Montreal, Canada. Shafia kissed Zainab on the head and forgave her for everything and slipped her $100. Of course, this was all a charade, a ruse to make his daughter feel comfortable, like a lamb being prepared for slaughter, quite literally. 
a lake, a vacation, a newly bought black Nissan Sentra. And we are back to June 23rd, 2009, when the Shafia family began their fateful road trip. So let me recap how that trip went. First, they stopped at a fruit store to stock up on snacks. There, the family caravan pumped into Latif Hideri. Now, as you know, Latif Hideri was no stranger to the family. He was Tuba's uncle. And more than that, he was their soon-to-be-in-law as well. Even though Latif was anxiously waiting to hear from Shafia to finalize the engagement plans for Zainab and his son, for one reason or another, the engagement stalled. And that reason was because there was an incoming plot. As he was waving them goodbye, he said, This girl is our trust with you. You have to bring her safe and sound. Latif Hideri watched them drive away, never to see them again, alive. Aran, I have a question. Did Shafia ever plan on getting his daughter married to Latif Hideri's son? Was there ever a time in his mind where he had let go of the previous wedding and the boyfriend she had made and now finally decided he would let her marry this new boy if she agreed? Or was it always that he was hell-bent on killing her? He never let that plot go. What do you think is the answer? He always wanted to kill her. Yeah. Um, and she said yes to marrying um, Latif's son. So she accepted that. So was he ever angry or mad at the fact that his wife agreed to let her marry her boyfriend? Was that ever a point of contention? From from whatever I have read, um, he was in Dubai figuring out just how to murder. I, do, I don't think... This was... I don't think anything could have changed that. I think it was decided in his mind. Um, So no variable could have influenced that. But that's just my opinion. Split between the Lexus and the Nissan, the Shafias left Montreal shortly after 3pm on June 23rd, 2009. They headed straight to Grand Remo, a town in the Quebecois region of Canada. After sleeping at a motel and stopping for a waterside barbecue of chicken kebabs, the family got back inside the cars on June 24th and headed south toward Ottawa. Plotted on a map, their trip to that point was basically a 450km zigzag. Back in the car, the family kept driving all the way to Niagara Falls, reaching their motel in the early hours of the morning of June 25th, 2009. The Shafias checked out of the Days Inn in Niagara Falls on June 29, 2009. That was the day. It was 8pm by the time the car steered onto the highway. They were headed home, but not all of them were. They left late in the evening and midway through their journey home, it was getting really dark and the family grew extremely tired. This was all part of the plan. They wanted the victims to be fast asleep. Hamid and Shafia went to the Kingston East Hotel, checked in, dropped the kids A, B and C and headed back to where the car was stopped in front of the Kingston locks where the crime was about to be committed. Their goal was to make it seem like the Nissan drove off the road into the lake. But it turned out that the edge of the lake was a kind of a curb or a bump. Basically, a car couldn't just roll into the lake. It would require force from behind for it to be pushed into the lake. Tuba, Shafia and Hamid began panicking because they were out in purview of everyone for very long by now. So they haphazardly decided to use the Lexus to ram into the Nissan from behind and shove it into the lake. Worst of all, before shoving the car into the lake, 
all the victims except Seher were brutally hit on the head with some kind of heavy weapon to knock them unconscious. The plan was executed. The Nissan drowned and Hamid drove off back home to cover up for the damage of the Lexus with that nonsensical story of how he hit the pole. Oh my god. Firstly, obviously this is incredibly tragic and unfortunate. But secondly, this is such a terribly planned murder plot. It seems so transparent and so easy to look right through. The murder plot was made via Google searches. So, what can you expect? Right. Zainab, Geeti, Seher, and Rona are dead. The investigation unfolded swiftly. There was just too much evidence against the Shafias, making it pointless for me to go over one by one. The shards of car parts at the Kingston lock matched the Lexus, indicating that it was used to ram the Nissan and push it over. Wiretaps on the Shafias revealed recordings of Shafia calling his own daughters whores. He was also caught saying something absolutely egregious. Quote, God cursed their graduation. Curse of God on both of them, on their kind. God's curse on them for a generation. May the devil shit on their graves. End quote. The only evidence the defendants had in their support were the testimonies of the siblings and their children, A, B and C, who actually testified in support of their parents despite knowing that their own siblings were murdered by their parents. On January 29th, 2012, after 15 hours of deliberation, a jury found each of the three defendants guilty of four counts of first-degree murder. In Canada, first-degree murder verdicts carry an automatic sentence of life without the possibility of parole for 25 years. Justice may have been served, but those four lives are gone forever. And those four might have a story, but there are thousands like them that get lost as statistics. True justice will come when their stories are heard.